eastward, west, to north, north and south. Comes been a time that the cosmos alone. I'm niche, niche, niche. And I'll be your companion. of the Cosmic Salon, and I have a very special guest today that came into a thought of an idea through the wonderful Reverend Bill McDonald, and anything or anyone Reverend talks about or suggests to me, I take seriously and I look deeper into, and so Ingrid Hunkala was a suggestion that Reverend Bill said I would be probably very interested in interacting with. So I went and I did a quick look over and immediately upon seeing her bio and her story and her journey, where she's been and who she is in this realm, I was intrigued and of course sent her Uh, request to come on to my new show here. And then as I've gone deeper in and and really immersed myself in a lot of what Ingrid's saying and doing, I've just become enchanted. There's a lot of what I have experienced myself through some of my own darkness that got me to where I am. And uh, these overlaps always push me further into understanding that we are not alone, that we have these experiences, that this experience we're having is a collective experience. And it's through the overlap of synchronicities, of serendipity, of providence, that we connect to others. And through listening to lots of videos on Ingrid's YouTube page and digging through some of her written work, I found lots of those little connections and just was generally inspired by where she came from and where she is now, the Ingrid that is now. And so with that, I'm going to bring on Ingrid to allow her to fill in a bio and then we'll build this chit-chat from there. Hello, Ingrid, and welcome to the Cosmic Salon. Hello, Nish. Thanks so much for having me here. I feel so grateful, so honored, and also so grateful with uh, my dear friend, Reverend Bill McDonald, for connecting us. This is just incredible. Yes, Nish, my, my spiritual path actually started when I was very young. I was just a little child when I had a near-death experience. And from there, that door just started or just opened. You know, this is incredible because this is something I always say, that the door never closed for me. And not long ago, I received a message 
that said, of course, the door never closed because there is no door. Yes. <laughs> so this is amazing because it's the realization we are the ones yes. that put a door. This happens because of conditioning, because the school, our parents, our ancestors, everything that we have been told start closing us to the authentic being that we are. So we lose that contact. We lose the, the, the clear knowing of who we are. And this is this path, is go back and remember. Remember, open these doors. Like I said, there is no door, but open the door that we have created ourselves. So throughout my life, Nish, after that near-death experience, things kept happening. And I started to have out-of-body experiences. And by the age of four, I started to communicate with what I call beings of light. I was just a little child. And when I saw them shining in pure light, I'm like, yeah, you are a being of light. (laughs) So this is how all this happened. And then I started to just, the beings of light, I started to communicate, said to me, someday you'll share all these with the world but when the time is right and they also told me how none of this was for me to keep but to give and then things started to happen they say people will come into your path to help you to guide you and that's how these incredible teachers and and even in my own family started to to appear in my life and, and just become that guidance But like everything in life, I also needed to experience and understand my own humanity. So this has been a path where the awakening is is been a process. A process that started, like I said, when I was a child. But when I was a little child, all this was happening in a natural way. So I just didn't understand it. I was just like, wow, okay, this is happening. And at the same time, it was hard because I kept comparing myself with others and not understanding my process. Life brought me years later to have clarity and to have what I call a big awakening. Now the realization, I know why all these gifts were given to me. Your near-death experience happened when you were three. Is that correct? I was close to three, yes. Yeah. And it was a process of going back and remembering that experience that you were able to, even though you were deeply affected by it when it happened, but the going back and having to, or seeking to look back into it, that brought in a great deal of meaning. So how did it unfold for you, the memory of it? You know, Nish, I actually never forgot it. The thing is that I never forgot it. I just did not know that other people have had these experiences. It okay. wasn't as clear and as profound as when I started to discover through time that other people have had experiences like this, that I was not the only one. And it, it took years. But when I started to see... Oh, what? I had something similar and it was like this. And then I heard another kid. Oh my God, I had that. What? Yes. And it was this sense of like, wow, I'm not the only one. And I started to just get deeper and deeper into understanding it and seeing that, wow, there's more people 
in this world. <laughs> so by <laughs> listening to others, I started to have more clarity about my own experience. And the other thing is that, like I said to you, for me, like I always remember, even I always remember even saying to people, a friend saying when I was younger, yeah, you, you mentioned you drum, but I just the deafness of it and the real questions, the, the deep questions came later when I even asked simple questions, but are deep, why this happened? Why this happened when I was so young? Why was the purpose of this NDE that only I came to ask later in my life? Yeah. So let's build a little foundation of young you, early young you. Oh, I want to say this. So I read many, many years ago a book that really inspired me. And when I was going through your content, I can't help but feel... Uh, you remind me of a character in one of my favorite books, and it's from Isabel Allende, House of the Spirits. You remind me of Clara. <laughs> yeah. Did you ever read that book? You know, I, I didn't read the book, but I know some of the story. Oh, it's amazing. It. Yeah. The, the movie's terrible. The, the book is amazing, Ingrid. It's one of those you can't put down. It's so well-written and beautiful and it's generational. The character person, Clara, was my favorite. And so looking into your experience, you very much reminded me of her, which of course made me smile. Mm. So when we're talking about young, very young Ingrid, what was the world around you like? How did you experience the world? What things were inspiring you? What things scared you? What was your relationship to the world? So this is, I love these questions, Nish, because like I was mentioning to you, I, I never forgot because it became my life. The, the thing is, is this incredible thing because that was the life I lived. So I just became later through my life to understand other people don't see what I see. Yeah. Other people don't experience what I experienced. So this was my life. I had the near-death experience. I came back. I came back with abilities. I came back with the full awareness. And now I was seeing things that only when I went to school realized others don't see because all my drawings, I, I was painting auras. I was painting beings of light. I was talking about things people wouldn't understand. Yeah. And then I, at a school, the teacher was like, what is this? <laughs> when she was seeing all my drawings, <laughs> the teacher was like, what are these the stars and, and the sun? Because I was painting these stuff. Every The beings of light, Nish told me, do not talk about us because people are not going to understand. Yeah. So because I was asked not to talk, I was drawing. So my, my, my world, I, I would just draw. And I spent many hours in contemplation. I was very long. I, I wanted to be by myself because very soon I realized that when I would mention things, that when I tried to talk about these things, nobody understood. People thought Ingrid is dreaming. You know, children, they will not even pay attention to these things. The adults will be like, oh, yeah, she's creating a story she's dreaming she's so I had a world that was very off like I was living by myself and right after the near-death experience since I really couldn't communicate what was happening I or like I said oh they would disregard I I was angry actually 
I didn't really want to at some point to be touched, to eat. I was angry. And it was only when the beings of light started to talk to me and communicate with me that everything was okay, that they just didn't understand and gave me the clarity of what was happening. Each I could not relate to my name either yes. or to my persona. I would look at myself in the mirror and say to my parents, you don't understand. This is not my name. This is not me. I should not be here. Yeah. And when they will come and ask me, so what is your name? I would say, I do not need one. <laughs> I found that so profound. You have no idea. It hit me solidly when you said that because I can identify with it. This is beautiful because that deep depthness, that deep realization of us that is saying, yeah, you are beyond all these labels. Yes. And then it's when the beings of light started to talk to me and they said to me, Yes, what you it's just knowing what this is the you're knowing that in the realm of the lights names are not needed. <laughs> but also, of course, I, I received the, the understanding that yeah, like and through time I, I got it better that of course in the realm of the light labels are not needed, but here we are yes. having a human experience. We are like a basket, and this box, basket holds a name, a career. And all this is beautiful and important. I don't want people saying that, oh, but my name, yeah, a name scary, uh, energy, all that is important. But it was that clarity that we're beyond all this. Yes. To the point is there was a, a time that I saw a, a movie. And it was a movie about somebody having an accident and having amnesia, losing oh. the whole memory. And I never knew that I was young when I was this. I watched this movie and I'm like, what is this about? And it's, I always had, my mind was always a, a, a step beyond. I was always looking things in, in, in a deeper way. And it's when I had that realization, I understand. Yes. <laughs> if I would have an accident and I have an, an amnesia, this is what the beings of light were trying to explain. Say that I lose the memory of my name, that I lose the memory of my career. I cannot remember even who these people that is my family around me is. I cannot remember anything, but I, I am still existing. Yes. I, I am still alive. So am I all these things? Is that the core of the, the, the source, the, uh, the nature of who I am is none of that. It's when I realize, wow, mm. it's presence itself, it's life, it's existence. But all these are needed for my human experience. Yeah. So I was already going through all this since I was, a ch since I was little. And I remember... Nish, when I was about, um, I don't know, 15, 13, something like that. And there was a movie, I don't know, you remember, called Cocoon. Yes, of course. <laughs> <laughs> In this movie, I'm sitting with my sisters watching this movie. And then when this alien lady, like, rip her chest, oh, was the guy, I don't know, rip the chest open and light Yes. These beings were made of light, and I almost f fell out of I was sitting <laughs> on the bed. I'm like, oh, that's what we are. That's what we truly are. We're made of light because during my near-death experience, I realized myself as a being of light. 
when I had my out of body experiences, I saw myself as a being of light and I was surrounded by beings of light. When you were talking about your near-death experience in one of your videos, you had said you realized that you were the light and the beings of light formed into the flowers that you were seeing and that was the way they formed for you. Yes, and I love that because there was a moment now that I can, I will talk about that more after I tell you this, you, you asked okay. me about my yes. fears. Yes, sorry. <laughs> uh, no, but just, just to give answer to that one, you asked me about my fears too. Yes, and that's was, important. Yes, there was a moment when I started to see spirits. And they caused me a lot of fear. I didn't understand. I, I didn't understand what this was. And it was, I was petrifying fear. Nish, I was about six years old. And then my mom had, my mom was the first, one of the first people validating everything I was seeing because she confessed to me that she could see spirits too. Oh. So when I uh, told my mom, all this happened because in a school, the teacher called my mom because I was talking about being so light. So they thought I had imaginary friends. So that's when my mom talked to me. She said, you cannot tell these things to anyone. She validated what the beings of light has said to me. Mm-hmm. She said, they're not going to understand. So she is when she said to me, I've been seeing a spirit since I was a child too. So when I started to see spirits, I told my mom, mom, the spirits and the beings of light are not the same. I was very, very scared about this spirit. And it's when my mom asked me then, what is it that you see exactly? And I described and my mom started to cry. And she said, I think that you're seeing angels. Mm. And then I said, mom, but they don't have wings. Because <laughs> we all, all knew it was just the Catholic <laughs> teachings. And she's like, but it has to be your guardian angel. So I'm like, okay. So I went to ask the beings of light. So this is when I want to bring that part of my near death when they tr- say that they were the flowers. Yes. Because it's when I ask them, my mom said that you are angels. Is that what you are? And this was amazing because they said, you can call us whatever you want. And they said, and it's when I, I, I just wondering. And later in my life, I also asked them when I started to learn about ascended masters. They said, are you ascended masters? And they said to me, they, they answered incredibly, they said, we are what you want us to be. Yes. So this is with the flowers. They present to us in the way that we're ready, in the way that we are going to just feel them as just pure love, as, oh, I feel so well with the, this, whatever it is. That way I said, people, keep an eye because the light is manifesting to us in any ways as flowers, as birds, as books, as, as people, as possibilities, as experiences. That's how, in, in that case, happened to me during the near-death experience when I felt I was picked up and I was being carried. And the, and the beings of light later said to me, just trust us, just let yourself rest in the caring hands of guidance of the divine, like the way I did during my near-death experience. Just let the flowers carry you and you will be okay. When you were having your experience in the tank of water, you talked about the bubbles 
Could you bring us back into that? So your near-death experience is, is all over. There's a lot of you talking about it, so I don't feel like we have to fully immerse yeah. ourselves. But I want to get that. That imagery and the flowers were very important when I was encountering that imagery that you have brought forth. You know, I, I love that you're talking about this because to me, there's a deeper also connection with the sense of water. The yes. water. Yes. And you know, one time I was in, in this, just listening this beautiful passage, this sermon, and it's when they were talking about just baptizing. And it's not just the water, it's not just a symbol of purifying someone like in the Bible, but it's also in many Indian cultures. Water is that symbol of cleaning ourselves, purifying ourselves. And I was listening to this and I felt at that moment that connection of drowning and how to say this niche and, and connecting with the light. I said people drowning brought me to see the light. Yes. So for me, water became so important to the point that people ask me, how could you become a, a marine scientist, an oceanographer, if you drown? <laughs> you should be terrified of water. And I said, no, it's because water brought me to see the light. Yes. And I became also a master scuba diver niche, and I would just be diving, and I would just be immersed in that feeling of like, being in this immense, immense ocean in the water. And this is another beautiful thing. I love the sense that I will be with other divers and we will be together. And I didn't have to talk. Mm. It's mm -hmm. like when you can be in communion and without having to use words, because words always can be just distracting, is the noise. But it's like you're seeing again beautiful bubbles in the water, fish, coral, or, or just the immensity of the open space in the ocean, and you don't have to say a word. Yeah. So to me, it was amazing thinking that something that is so traumatic as drowning <laughs> can be also so divine, so purifying and then yeah after that water became so important to me and, and looking at the at the bubbles and seeing the bubbles surrounded by light during my experience and feeling like this childlike <sighs> just wonder like wow these bubbles look beautiful chasing the bubbles and then yeah seeing my body suspended in the water and having the absolute clear knowing that is my body. Yes. That is my human body. And seeing at that moment, Nish, too, the eternal Ingrid, knowing that this is not the first time that I leave a body. Yes. And That's having important. that sense, yes, of eternity. I have a very close connection with water, but it's also... Uh... There is other stuff for me with water. And in the second hour, I think I'll, we'll, we'll get into some of the darker aspects of water. When I honed in on you, and I think I even saw you wearing a necklace that had a dolphin. There's a lot of dolphin energy around you. And it's just something I sense. But And I also, I think I did see you wear a dolphin necklace. With water, though, I wanted to get your idea on the sentience of water. To me, 
the presence of life, of God, of energy is absolutely everywhere niche. I think I wanted to be a marine biologist because my parents brought me to see the ocean for the first time when I was about four years old. And when I saw the water, Nish, it was this sense of like, wow. <laughs> I, I saw like an immense blanket. <laughs> and I look at them, I, I just was completely lost in it. And to the point that they call me, Ingrid, are you okay? And I said, <laughs> and I turned to my mom and I said, mom, someday I'm going to know what is under that blanket. Oh my. <laughs> Nish, I was completely completely mesmerized and after that I wanted every book I wanted anything any fish anything that talk about the ocean I wanted to know and then by the age of five I told my father I I have the absolute clear memory standing in the patio's door even just smoking a cigarette there and I came and I daddy daddy when I am When I grow up, I'm going to become a marine scientist. (laughs) And I I love the fish. I love the dolphins. And later in my life, yes, I I did. um, I worked for for a while in a marine sanctuary and I used to swim with dolphins niche. And the connection between the dolphins and, and me were very strong. And the dolphins were like so protective of me that they didn't even want me to come out of the water. <laughs> there was a time where they even scared me a little because the dolphins thought I could breathe, breathe under the water <laughs> or, or just hold my breath like, like the dolphin does like because they, they don't could. breathe yes. under water, but they hold their breath for so long. And the dolphin took me out. They grab you very gentle. If you pull, you get hurt. But the, the dolphin grabbed my, my arm or grab my leg and bring me down in the water and then I had to pretty much do uh, this thing of like I, I need to breathe or I'm going to <laughs> and I just had to just go out there and uh, but it was amazing the connection I, I have with the dolphins was is, is very strong and, and you are that's amazing you have this sense of that I never talk about this before in any other interview or in any other conversation it's very strong with you. And it, I mean, it really, it, it comes over to me when, even when I look at your photo that I'm looking at right now, it's very strong. It was very strong. So when I saw that pen and I didn't feel surprised by my interpretation of, of a connection there and the idea of so sentience, I do believe sentience is everywhere, but there's something extra special about the water and and I don't want to say it is like extra special but there there's something about it and I know you know what I'm talking about I've always had a calling for I was born with web feet and so it's something that I just have this weird draw to and yet I also have a fear I later recognize the fear as a respect and also there's a sense for me of always being called back. I try to live by water. It's a big deal. Yes, to me water is, is absolutely relaxing. I just when I am under the water, I can hear sounds yes. that are very special. I just I I am called to be in the water too. And you know, this is incredible because I was born in the mountains. 
Yes, you, you would have thought, yeah, you would have thought I was born in Bogota, high up in the Andes. Like, yeah, I didn't even have the ocean right there next to me, and it was this call. And you know what is the other incredible thing is the very first time I saw a being of light here on this uh, physical realm was when I was taking a shower, actually, because I, I started to see them when I was having out-of-body experiences, Mm-hmm. and oh that was amazing and now I wanted to sleep all the time but <laughs> now the balance need to come I'm like I could not sleep forever so one day I was taking a shower and I it was warm and it to me it was like ah I would just relax it happens to me I if, especially if I am in warm water I I just my communication goes it just expands yes mine too yeah, so I am in this warm water when I see this huge blue intense light shining in the bathroom. And it's like, it's when I was in this state of absolute joy. Now the beings of light are here too. When you were in the tank, when you were in between worlds, so to speak, the flowers were, they were printing the, presenting themselves as these beautiful flowers and they were different colors. The thing is, uh, when the experience happens in the town with the flowers, I did not know those were beings of light. I, I learned years later when they started to show me the symbology. Actually, life is full of symbols. Yes. Everything. Yes. And then I asked for all, I started to just kind of go through understanding all the symbology, all the things that happen in my nether experience. And it's when they say, who you think or what you think the, being, the, the flowers were. And they say us. And they said to me, because I saw a light that was coming from below. Because I like the moment I drowned, the tank was very dark. So the last thing I saw was the darkness of the space. Then a light came on that was able to illuminate the whole water is surrounding. And they said, what do you think that light was? I said, I don't know. They say you. <laughs> your own light. So they started to explain to me all these little symbols, even things like I asked why my nether experience happened when I was so young. Yes. And they said, because you were old enough to remember, but young enough not to be conditioned yet. Yes. So this was incredible. So they started to explain to me and, uh, and things started to become clear to me, but it was through time, through time niche. There was many things I didn't even have clear until I started, the, the beings of light said, learn to ask the right questions and you will receive the right answers. This is the thing I've always found so provocative about the idea of time, that if we're open, we have open hearts about this experience and open minds, that these things continue to unfold, that like you did not understand the significance of the flowers in the tank as being the beings of light, that information comes forward later. And I think that it it rolls forward like that. We continue to have these awakenings into stuff that we may not have processed earlier, but we were introduced to the symbol of. Yes, and that's absolutely amazing because it's when, when we realize, wow, we pay attention and we become aware. Yes. We're becoming observers 
then we are missing less and we are starting to even like unfold the things that have happened throughout our life and see things with, oh God, the eyes of, this is incredible, this is amazing. Even little things that we didn't catch start unfolding and we're realizing life is just incredible. We just many times cannot see it that way, especially when we are suffering. And even in those sufferings, we cannot see the purpose of it until later on. Yes. Until we get the whole result of it, the whole meaning of it, or until a new experience unfolds that will the result of this other thing. Yes. So I think that's, that's the part when we have to, I guess, use the word patience. <laughs> <laughs> There's a reason why it's called a virtue. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because time, like you said, I love how you talk about this, time will tell. The being yeah. so like, there was a time when I asked the being so like, what is the purpose of time? What is the purpose of this thing called time? And they say the purpose of time and experience because time is a measure of change. So when you have an experience, change is happening. So they said to me, the purpose of time and experience is to help you remember who you truly are. Mm. Is to bring you back home. So once we, the more we, we have awareness, because it's not just the experience in which we experience life, but without awareness, we're just victims of life. Yes. Because we feel it's just happening to us, it's just, just, just happening to damages, to hit us, to attack us, it's happening to us. But when we start awakening and becoming observers and understanding the purpose behind all our experiences, it's when we start realizing life is not happening to me. It's happening for me. All my experiences are these jewels that are helping me to, to open myself to look deeper, to look deeper to correct something I haven't seen to many times I, I see, show me what I haven't seen, but please show me gentle. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> show me gentle. <laughs> I agree with that. <laughs> so there are sorrows in your life. You're not detached from sorrow. This is part of what gets us. This is part of what moves us. It's fuel. And you know this well, I wanted to touch on that because this is part of the journey and it's an integral part that we should never overlook. And so as a child, what was your relationship with sorrows, even into the idea of sorrowful solitude? Now, I was always a loner and that's just the character I have. And it's allowed me much meditative state because I just... I prefer to be in the grand room of nothingness, I guess. And there come my answers. So as a child and having experiences, I'd read about you're crying a lot. And uh, it made me think of Our Lady of Sorrows, whom I love. I wanted more when I was hearing you talk about that. I wanted to go deeper into the idea of the pains you had gone through emotionally as a young person wow this is this is this goes deeper than 
I ever even have expressed it or shared it. There's a lot of that in my book. Yeah. My book just shows in depth of a lot of these these sorrows. But one thing is that I, I don't talk too often because it just doesn't come to talk for, about is that I think my sorrows come from even before I was born. <laughs> yes. Because my mom... She had a very, very sad, very sad pregnancy. Things happened. My, my parents were forced to marry when they were very young, even before they, ugh, they were like, they were children. They were 17 years old. And think about it, at the time, it's not like today that children are more developed. There's the internet, there's all these. By 13, you already know the world. No, but back then it was like, especially in Colombia, so protected by religion, they were very naive. Yeah. And my parents were forced to marry and things were really hard. And my mom had a really very sad pregnancy. So I, I was born already with what I will call a childhood or, or babies born with depression. I was a depressed baby. Just, just right there, there was already difficulties. And yes. I was born as a very fragile child. My health was very, very fragile because my mom, in her depression, she didn't know at the time that smoking cigarettes and drinking coffee would affect the baby. Yeah. So my mom pretty much does what she did. and Every, I was, Everyone did back then. Back then. And I was born as very sick. And then I actually almost refused to stay in this world. It was really hard to keep me alive. I, I didn't want to suck meal. So it, this baby, as, as I was, was a very depressed, very sick baby. Mm-hmm. So imagine my uh, difficulties in this world as, as human started just as a, as a fetus, as a little baby. I was born into this world. I, was, I, I cried a lot. It was hard for my parents. And after that, I just started to just be quiet. I was this baby that would sit there in contemplation, being very sick. So this is incredible how even before the near death, I already had things that separated me from my sisters, from the, the, the other kids that were healthy or were acting more normal. And it's something else in Colombia, there's, there's been a war going on for many years, yes. many years. So the war was, the, the country itself was immersed in sorrow. Yes. So imagine now carrying the sufferings of a country, the sufferings of a family, the sufferings of a baby. <laughs> yes. As I grew up, I could really sense it. I, I remember being a, a little child, a teenager, and feeling the suffering of the world. I, I always have been very empathic, very sensitive and I felt all this in myself. And now having the near death, coming back, realizing I am not this child. These are not just my parents. I felt them as my equal. Going to later to school, and I was very rebellious, <laughs> extremely rebellious to the point. I asked later in my life to the beings of life why I was so rebellious. <laughs> and they say, because you were not going to accept conditioning. Yes. <laughs> my mom tells me since I was just a little child, she said, I never met any child that was as rebellious as you were. 
And, 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 and that, was, that was true. I was like, I wasn't going to accept to be conditioned. And I would always question everything. I guess that's why I became a scientist too. I wanted to know everything in depth. I, I would question why even the religious, even like in a school, when I finished high school, I did not do the ceremony that was everybody it, it was part of the school to graduate. You have to do the confirmation for the Catholic teachings. And oh, I, yes. I didn't do it. Yeah. And that was a big no. But I, I even even knowing that I wasn't probably going to be allowed to graduate, I refused to do it because I, I never wanted to be conditioned. I said, the God that I see is not this God. I don't yes. see God as with fear. I don't see God as somebody punishing me. To me... I had experienced God as love, yes. pure and absolute love. So I would just say how I can fear the one or the source, the energy, the, the thing that loves me the most. So I refuse to see things with those eyes. So that, of course, that created a lot of problem because I was going against the system in their eyes, although my idea was not fight against, my idea was like, I see the world with these eyes. Yeah. And I don't want to see it the way you see it because (laughs) it doesn't fit what I say. (laughs) So yeah, Ingrid was a very lonely person. I just was very quiet. I, all I wanted to, you know, once I learned the the word enlightened, That is all I wanted. <laughs> I wanted to be enlightened because I, of course, that was the way it came. It came to me. I, 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 my grandmother started to bring to us when I was very little. She brought to us the, the teachings of other uh, philosophies or other ways of thinking. My my grandmother was raised as Catholic, but she wanted to know more. She always had, she was just like, there has to be more. Yes. And she started to learn mm-hmm. about Hinduism, Buddhism. She, she joined an order called the Rosicrucian Order. Yes. And she wanted to study the uh, I Am instruction and learn about Ascended Masters. And she was in all these and she brought these teachings to our home. And when my grandma arrived home with the picture of a guru with a huge aura, I'm like, oh, I was drawn into my grandmother. I'm like, talk to me about this. Yes. So she taught me meditation. She brought me to the first Buddhist temple when I was 12. And it's when I learned a breathing meditation technique. And I approached the monk when we were leaving and I said, sir, I, I, my grandma's a very busy woman. I don't think we can come back. And, and he said to me, you never need to come back. And I said, what do you mean? And he said, because you already have a temple. Yes. And I yes. said, what do you mean that I have a temple? And he said, you are the temple. Yes. So you can practice this breathing meditation technique wherever you are. It's so, a big deal for people to understand. You do not need to go anywhere. You are already there. You are that temple. You don't need a guru. <laughs> right. You are the guru <laughs> of your own temple. <laughs> yeah. It's a so, big deal when you think about that with yeah. established religions like Christianity. 
Exactly. So to me, imagine how how could I be conditioned if I had all this clarity? <laughs> I'm like, no, it's, I, I am it. So oh gosh, it was it was holding all this and and seeing that the world outside me was speaking a different language. Yes. So imagine you're this person that is not being understood, but only by few. So my grandmother became my friend. So imagine at, at ages where you're supposed to have friends of your same age and all that. I was joining with my grandmother, meeting spiritual teachers, doing things. And I was always the youngest in all these groups. And I, and I, by the age of 14, I, I learned transcendental meditation. But thankfully, I started to also grow a strong voice. And I would just started to invite people in my family and some friends, not from a school, but some other friends that we, I met outside of school to come to these uh, practice this transcendental meditation because I thought this is amazing and mm-hmm. I started to just talk little bits with some people but it was I was very very shy very quiet very in my own space at a school I was very lonely I I was I felt ostracized I, I was bullied my my oldest sister became my protector mm. she became this person that oh gosh she she was very respected. She was in a sport. She was tough. And she was just, Ingrid, you have to use makeup. Ingrid, you have to do this. You have to wear these things. And I was like, I would just go with like, okay, okay. You need to fit in this world, Ingrid. You need to do so. She just became like the one that was there to, to show me the world. Yes. <laughs> yes. So. When I encountered the story of your grandmother, I was overwhelmed because my grandmother was my gate into a lot of the outer world and the best things. And I can imagine that your grandmother bringing this to you in such a conservative place that it was radical. It actually was, and especially for the world I was living in, and she was showing me a, a world. This, she said, this is the world you belong to. Yes. So, so to me, it was like, wow. In my, imagine at nine years old, I was already <laughs> reading books like uh, Bhagavad Gita. Yes. Books like uh, Self-Realization, uh, Aparokshanobhuti, books like the, the Crest Jewel of Determination or, or, or Discrimination or Discernment. So imagine at, at that age already, already learning about Vedanta, learning about the, the I am instruction, about ascended masters, of reading books that were so profound. And wow, it was like, so in the, in the eyes of a nine-year-old, 10-year-old, 11-year-old, imagine how could I relate with other children? Yes, that's what I was getting at. I just couldn't. It was really hard. I, I, which even even when I came back from my near-death experience, nation, I started to see other children. I could not relate. For me, it was like, what is happening to these people? Yeah. Yes. What is going on? <laughs> and imagine being uh, right after my near-death experience, I I had the ability of being able to read, write. Resolve mathematical <laughs> problems, put together complex puzzles. Because for me, it was the sense I don't have to learn anything. I'm just remembering. Yes. Oh, it's so big. It's so big. The one of the things that I 
one, another overlay between my experience and what I was hearing from you is I always needed to be around the adults as well. And that's, I gravitated to my grandmother who had me in those conversations. And my mama always uh, spoke to me as a peer. In fact, I called her by her first name. <laughs> and, uh, and so it was only later after she died, many, many, two decades ago now, that I started to call her mama again. I rarely ever did that when she was alive. She always had me in with the adults as well because I couldn't relate to the children around me at all. And she saw that. And so she she would make sure that I was around the adults so I could hear and interact at that level because I was at that level because, like you just said, this was a remembrance. Yes, you know, Nish, for me, like when you're talking about the sorrows, it came, it came, it came right now to also share with you that the reason why my grandmother took me to that Buddhist temple, it was a gift for me because it's one day I confessed to her that I wanted to die. Yes. I was only 12 years old and, and I had, I think now thinking about it and, and thinking about the past, I, I had what is called existential depression. Yes. I really did not want to be here. I did not relate. I felt like I was an alien. And the more my sister told me, you have to dress like this, you have to wear this, you have to listen to this music, you have, the more sad I became because I did not want to be that person. But I realized I, if I'm not that, I cannot relate with these people. Mm-hmm. So it was feeling that rupture inside, feeling that I have to do these things in order to fit to a world I feel I don't belong. And I remember being 12 years old and telling to my grandmother, Grandma, I have never said this to anyone, but I just want to die. I have been wanting to die pretty much all my life. Mm-hmm. And she was worried because she thought if I was going to hurt myself. And I really didn't have the idea of like hurting myself, like, oh, I'm going to commit suicide. It wasn't that. Yeah. It was the sense I don't want to be here. And and it's when she said to me that all the beauties of life, that if we just live every moment with every breath, this could be an amazing journey, that this was part of my experience. And later I learned about contrast and how all this experience was giving me the contrast to go deeper, to learn even more about myself, to bring me to one side, show me the other side so I can learn balance, all these things that we learn through time. But when I was little, I would just tell my grandma, oh, this is just too, I don't want to be here. This just feels too heavy. Yeah. This just feels too difficult. And But thankfully, grandma was there and, and I listened to what she had to say. And, and that brought me a lot of comfort. And that just gave me what I needed at the moment to hold on and... and and yeah, more things were introduced. I later I, I met uh, another group that uh, they were studying all the the Indian cultures of the Americas. Yes. So I would just with all these and just seeing wow, there's so many beautiful things in this experience too. And and it was actually it was when I was in a trip to an island that I did uh, to work for the um, it was the um, 
like like a park ranger. It was a program that they will just give to students to go participate in this during the summer. It was actually the first time I was again the, always in this sense of sadness, always in this sense of I am I don't belong, depressed. And I'm sitting, I, I will just go do meditations. And this island was actually very deserted. And it, it was mainly just for scientists. I was already uh, in college studying marine biology. And I went to surf there, do this, this job for summer. And I'm sitting in this mountain doing a meditation when I opened my eyes. And I had the sense that I could see everything from every angle. Mm. That I like if I was the center of the universe, not in the egoic sense, it was the right. sense of like, yeah. oh, we are the totality of everything. It was the sense of like, this is magnificent. And I had a view like, it's like if I had eyes all over myself and I could see everything in like, like 360 degree view. And then I am in this incredible state of feeling like, and it's when I have this amazing realization of, of how small and how huge we can be. So, so I remember a teaching, this is a Zen teaching, where it says, when you feel that you are too much, remember that you are only a speck of dust <laughs> in the universe. But when you think that you are nothing, remember that you are as whole as the universe. Yes. And at that moment, I have the view, the, the memory of me seeing a drop of water, salt water under the microscope and seeing a huge colony of plankton <laughs> and thinking, wow, yeah, for maybe for the whole universe, I am just a speck of dust. But for this drop, for this colony of plankton or for a virus or for a bacteria... I am the universe. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, so when I started to feel, wow, being a human is not that bad. Yes. It's so much amazing. And it's when I remember sitting in a beach and seeing the dolphins jumping in the horizon at night. And, and there was a, the water had the bioluminescence plankton. And the dolphins were jumping and the water was light with, with just all these uh, bioluminescent plankton and yeah. wow, seeing that something so spectacular and, and the stars and the moon and this island and it's when I realized I am missing all these because I, I am trapped in, in my own idea, I don't belong. What if I start feeling I do belong? That's such a big deal and it's one of those areas, it's one of those ideas, it's one of those places we have to come to on our own. Everything is there for us to access this idea of being without being, you know, so there's that trick to it. It comes in stillness and we can find that stillness and be in a crowd of people and loud and hustle, bustle. And those of us that early on were understanding this because of, of sorrows or feeling, uh, feeling isolated from everything, when we finally come into that 
It's a very big deal. It is like taking a breath of air all of a sudden when you've been holding your holding it. When you've been underwater so long and you think you can go on no longer and then you get a new breath. I absolutely love that. Yes. I I just uh, also I love that analogy and the analogy of like say that you're carrying this big heavy backpack. You carry this backpack and you also walk and walk and walk with this backpack and someday you realize I take this backpack out of my shoulders. How do you feel? Is that breath of relief? So I said to people, let go and let be. The moment I let go the heavy backpack, (gasps) (laughs) now I can be. (laughs) It's powerful. See, the power there is in our choice, our perception and perspective of that. We feel so trapped sometimes. I see it. I recognize it in others because it's part of my experience in my past. I recognize that which I am. And this is something I love hearing you speak about is this idea of what I am and the I am aspect of it. And you had a video, I think it was with the cups, where you were talking about the cups and the space that's actually in the cups when there's no water, which I think is such an amazing analogy. When you, uh, I can't remember what, what book were you citing there? Oh, yeah, I was, um, I have read uh, um, Nisadarata Maharaj. I am that, I am that is called the book. I am that. And one day I was, I was sitting in an airplane actually, and I am in doing my meditation in the airplane and I'm thinking about his book and I'm thinking, what is that I am? What is it that I am? What is that that I am? So I am just (laughs) contemplating the who are, who am I? Yes. And then the being so light, it was so beautiful. They said to me, and they showed me a cup getting empty. And they said to me, is this cup empty when it is empty? And then they empty the cup. And it's when I had the clarity, the realization, oh, of course, <laughs> it's not empty is full of space. And then I saw many cups. And it's like, wow, of course, all of us with our uniqueness, with all the precious uniqueness we have, we are these all these different cups. That's why in that video have different cups and they all look beautiful. And we are all feel if we empty ourselves from all our story, we are all filled by the same source consciousness space it's it's just absolutely beautiful and this is the other thing this is the other thing Nish I mean for me when when the depression actually completely ended was uh, one day I call it actually this is the literal like going out of the spiritual closet happened for me like that literal I, I went into the closet the physical closet and I'm like I already had had this big awakening but, you know, because awakening is a process, yes. now I enter in, into the closet to organize it. And, you know, this is funny. People, and this is true. People say when you have these awakenings, you go and you empty your kitchen, your closet. What happened? You reorganize your life, your ideas. You empty the space that was cluttered. 
and I walk in the closet, I started to get all this stuff, then because we are conditioned or trapped in our own suffering, we, we, we just become addicted to our suffering. At that moment, I'm like, oh, these are the clothes I didn't wear because I got <laughs> married and my life and me. And wow, at that moment, I saw a book, Nish. It was a huge book, like, like, like a Bible book, huge. And then I had the vision of this book and the book opened. And then I realized at that moment how I was trapped in the story of Ingrid and poor Ingrid. Yes. <laughs> and the story of Ingrid and poor Ingrid was not even a chapter, it was a paragraph in the book. <laughs> and then is when I said, I'm missing all this book. I'm missing all the wonders of this world because I'm trapped in the story of me and poor me. And then the closet had a blind, had a, and the blinds were closed, and I opened the blinds. And it's when it's like, oh, there's all this world out there. And I said, I'm coming out of this closet. I'm <laughs> done with being trapped in this chapter of my life. And I want to be, I want to serve. I, 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 because I've been focusing in me and poor me, I am depressed the moment you decide I want to help others I want to serve I want to see this world of wonders depression ends it was gone and I've been depression completely free from depression depression free for more than a decade yeah 10 11 years yes it's a hard thing for some people that haven't come to that space to understand and I I found myself in many uh, interactions with people that are are very. I I was also very very a very sad person during some of my early life. That was a very difficult life, and I was creative with it though. And I mean, there were very very dark places. Of course, we if you know depression, then you know how dark that gets. Oh gosh, yes. But I find myself sometimes in conversation with people that suffer and that still suffer and they they don't let go of their stories. They're holding on to this idea that that is them. And I think that at the core, sometimes they're afraid that when you, when you take all that out or you unravel the yarn ball, that there's nothing in the center. And yet that nothingness is everything. It's you, and you were bound by all that yarn that created a rubber band ball, however you want to look at it. And it's something that's hard to convey when people are are in the clutches of depression, and especially when they're on medications now. That you know, the, all the stuff they put people on now that just compound and create more of that that space and that helplessness and the overwhelming feelings and then the can't sleep and then the can't get up and all the, the pills that come. And I sometimes feel like I'm in an echo chamber trying to interact with people at this level because I know for me, when I was in that dark space, it was all I could see. And I felt this sense of, and I know this is ego. I felt this sense that you don't know my suffering. You may know your suffering, but you don't know my suffering. 
But Ingrid, one of the things that I have come to see now, I haven't been depressed in 20 years. One of the things I came to understand is, yes, there is a, a million, trillion, gazillion, infinite ways to experience something. And that's beautiful. And so my perceptions, my perspective will be different from anyone else's. But at the same time, that color, that flavor, that overlay onto your life is similar. So when someone knows the depths of, of heartache or sorrows, it doesn't matter the details. You know the essence of it. And that's what connects us. And so I always try to get that across that if we can let go of our stories that we're holding on to in the past, there is so much potential. And yet, as you know, this is an internal awakening. This is an internal experience. And I have always thought that stillness was one of the master keys. I really love, love the way you're talking right now and, 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 and showing your heart because Nish, this is the process. This is the way we go when, when we are dealing with emotions that are so profound and is by empathy. Yes. By knowing the, the suffering of the other. That's why even though I had, I was so, I had all these profound experiences when I was a child. I had also a time in my life where there was many sufferings, many hardships, even, even very different from the childhood ones. Those were more like trying to be belong. Later became the sufferings of life of dating a, an abusive person and, and, oh gosh, just many things, almost being raped and, and killed, then living in a war zone, etc. Yeah. And all those sufferings, all these things that happened in the deep depression, wanting to even commit suicide, brought me to have so much compassion for others and for myself. Yes. This is the thing for a person that is suffering so much. Be gentle with yourself. Mm. Be gentle with the one that is having this experience. We cannot go there, niche, and drop a bag of water. What? Life is giving <laughs> you this. What are you talking about? Oh, get, go out of the closet. No. Oh, my. I know how hard it was for me. I know that I had to be a step by a step. Yeah. Little by little, this is a process that has to be done so gentle. The beings of light said to me, Ingrid, you're not here to convince anybody about anything. Yeah. Your path is the path of gentleness. Mm. Be as soft, be as gentle as you can. So when we're with a person that is in a situation like that, I actually have done what I talk about the... the um, the backpack, we literally have done it. Let's walk with this backpack. Let's take it away. How do you feel? That's <gasps> good. See, we go little by little. I practice with them. Let's go do this walking meditation. Let's let's be in awareness, the presence that, that you talk about. Let's, de- let's be in this presence and stillness for one second. Yes. 
then two One seconds, second. yes, then then two steps. See, this is it has to be done so gentle. What about today? We were that you you have this thought that is 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 being so strong. What about at that moment you just bring a cup of coffee and you smell it before you drink it? Mm. <gasps> <laughs> Feels good, isn't it? See, so we start introducing the goodness of life in very simple things. Yeah. Until we start feeling, wow, we need to first feel something good before we, uh, if I come to somebody that is in the deep darkness, the person cannot come out of there if I don't start bringing a little bit of light, you know, like during the near death, those little bubbles of light. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) When you look at these little, oh, wow, that calls my attention. See, now there's light there. Let's let's smell this fruit before we eat it. This is good. What about I wash my hands? Oh, the, the warm water feels good, isn't it? See, little by little, little by little. I remember this person that was so deep, so deep into depression. And she was, she came to one of my, my sessions. We were talking and she said, there's nothing in me that can tell you now that make me happy. Nothing. This lady was in just the, this deep, dark place and, we started to just recognize anything. Oh, my granddaughters. Even it's an external source, because many people, you have to find happiness inside. Yeah, it's inside, but at some point you need a reference. Yes. Because oh, you're too lost. Yes. So we grab that little thing. Look at that love you feel from them, and it started to recreate that. <laughs> and let's work on whatever we have available. And after that, like, what about you love this cup of tea or this yeah let's grab that too little by little until we start reprogramming ourselves yes to feel good yes yes you know you say that (laughs) one day i was sitting in the couch and i'm listening to my son was listening to some lullaby some music for children there i'm like repeating repeating my wow this music is so repetitive (laughs) <laughs> and it's when I got the, the clarity, I understand why it's repetitive. Because only by repetition, we learn. And only by repetition, we unlearn. Yes. Oh, and relearn so new patterns. Yes. Unlearning, Ingrid, is almost more important than relearning. Unlearning yes. is the way out of a bottlenecked experience where we've we've backed ourselves into a corner. Yes, it's emptying the cup. It's, uh, <laughs> the, the beings of life show me the same thing as the, as the cup. They show me a basket. And it was a basket made of like, um, like rattan, you know, that has holes. You can oh, see yeah. holes. Yes. So it was this basket. And it says it's the, it, the, when the basket is full, the light cannot come in. And when that, the light cannot come in, the light cannot go through either. Yes. So they show me empty this basket, empty this basket from concepts, empty this basket from beliefs, empty this basket from who you think you are. And then you can be filled. It can be filled with light. It can be filled with, with the, the light of who you are. And now you can also shine that light through you. Yes. 
So it's just like you say, we have to empty the cup. We have to empty the basket. This is another amazing, amazing analogy they show me. They always said to me when I have the, the, the head food, like something is happening and whatever, a drama, they said, I always bring this back to my mind. Nothing is happening. Yes. So <laughs> what they showed me was a room. <laughs> and the room was like any room, it doesn't matter, whatever space. And they showed me the room and they said, what is something that never, ever changes in the room? And I'm like, oh, <laughs> of course, the space, <laughs> yeah. the space never, ever changes. <laughs> and they said, the important thing is that you learn what are you identifying with, the furniture in the room or the space in the room. Uh. <laughs> when you identify with yourself with this with the furniture then in the mind something is happening all the drama life you identify with that and now you become the furniture in the room so people can push you move you life can do whatever it want with you because you become the puppet of life but when you're the space in the room oh now you become the co-creator it's <laughs> It's so amazing. That is my favorite analogy I'm taking away. I have not heard that one. And it's amazing. Ingrid, we're going to take a break and move into our second half. I want to make sure we kind of stay on track with that. And I feel like that's the most empowering place to end this first half. If you could give my listeners information as to how they can find you and where they can find you. Uh, that would be awesome. And then we'll take a break and we'll come back. Perfect. Yes. They they can find me on my website, which is Ingrid Honkala, which is H-O-N-K-A-L-A.com. And I, I also have a YouTube channel where I share meditations and teachings and all the interviews. And I am also in Facebook and all the media pages. And that will all be in the show notes. And I have a book too called yes. A Brightly Guided Life, which is shows all the recall of not just the awakenings, but the sufferings that brought me to wake up. The contrast is important. This is how we get to where we are. And that's one of the reasons why we talk about and are talking about the hardships. We need them. You do not just get to the goodness without having sometimes to explore and be in the darkness, in the hardness. It's all a journey and it's a beautiful journey. And with that, we will say goodbye to the first half of this wonderful interaction with Ingrid Honkala. I would like to thank the producers of this program, Sana Rebecca, Jason Lamson, Michael Watcher, Melanie Poe, Christy Tesmer, Marin Kramer, and all the other patrons at Patreon that put a sparkle in my experience of doing this and that make this a more meaningful experience knowing that you are here and want more of this and value what it is I'm, I'm putting forward. Remember, 
wake up within the dream and become the dreamer.